This podcast is intended for an adult audience. Take care if there might be young people listening. Welcome to Doing It. This podcast is to help parents, carers and anyone working with young people understand relationships and sexuality education. My name is Anne and I work with the Sexual Health Victoria Schools and Community Team. We deliver the Everybody Education Program to school-aged children so they can better understand their own bodies, growing up, respect, consent, reproduction, sex, sexual health and relationships. This episode is the start of a seven-part series produced with the support of the eSafety Commissioner. In the eSafety Best Practice Framework for Online Safety Education, there is reference to children's rights online. It says that young people have the right to provision, participation and protection. Certainly many young people would not be able to participate in education at all in recent times without the provision of technology. This series of podcasts will be focusing on protection, specifically how comprehensive relationships and sexuality education can be a protective factor for young people on or offline. We know from talking to schools, families and young people that there is a great deal of fear around young people and their online experiences. In particular, there is fear that young people will view, share or create sexual content online. Pornography, grooming and image-based abuse are topics that young people should have information about to keep them protected from potential harms. They are also topics that are surrounded in taboo, shame, blame, judgment and euphemisms. So what should we be telling our young people about sexual content online? Over the next seven episodes, I'll be speaking to the experts to find out. In this episode, I'm going to try and understand what exactly is the problem. What are adults worried about? Starting with parents and carers. I asked some parents what they were worried about when their children were online. Uh, What I worry about is kids, A, with older siblings, sharing inappropriate content, perhaps, you know, I've heard that it's highly unlikely that a primary school kid will finish primary school without seeing pornography now. And, yeah, and I know that I'm very vigilant with what she watches and she knows that I can check her watch history anytime and things can pop up accidentally. So, you know, um, we've, we've got some filters on, but, you know, she can access YouTube. So she might Google something that seems perfectly innocent, but there might be something. So, you know, we, we try and educate and protect her as at the level that we think, but it's what she's going to be exposed to at other people's places. Things like, you know, obsessive dieting and, you know, body dysmorphia and, you know, obsession with looks are going to sort of infiltrate um, my daughter's world, you know, even if she's not absorbing that, you know, her friends are and and placing sort of value on those things and starting to kind of talk about it. So, yeah, so it is, it's, it's, it's everywhere. (laughs) I'm worried about them seeing things that they're not ready to see and about them interacting with people that we and we don't know who those people are oh I guess in relation to images you know uh, pornographic images and 
even the you know negative depictions of women like not necessarily being pornographic but just inappropriate or stereotyping violence and sexual violence are a bit of a concern as well but I guess if they wanted to hide something it would be quite quite easy you know when a parent's distracted and busy even if they're in the same room Uh, we've got pretty tight controls on the computers I think block YouTube from certain screens so that they can only watch it on screens where we know we can see but um, I'm lucky that I think I've got quite open honest kids at least the older one is who um, regularly calls out if he sees anything that's a bit dodgy he, um, yeah. he's constantly pointing out inappropriate things even if it's a poster or a you know an advertisement that might be negatively depicting women or just be a bit yeah. sexualized I think the thing about the internet for me with teens is that it's an unregulated environment and just like in the real world we want to set them up to be able to understand the risks they're taking and be prepared for um, unexpected consequences. And I guess my concern is that there are things that they might encounter that we haven't prepared them for, or we haven't known to prepare them for. And so uh, trying to have the conversations with them to preempt that is sometimes really difficult. I'm aware that statistically both my high school age teens will have engaged with pornography by now. And we've always been reasonably open talking about that as a concept but of course, most of those conversations actually happened when it was before it being a concept that they would be horrified about. Or And now it's harder to have those conversations openly without the kids being you know, less forthcoming, more embarrassed. Walking that line between uh, appropriate parenting and allowing them to have their private connections, and I'm sure that's a really common issue for parents once the kids have access to the internet. And But then when it comes to content and the communication, the actual communications they're having, there's a degree of that that they they want to keep to themselves and that classic you know the teen lack of perspective in terms of yeah how long life is and what impacts are and you know everything's so immediate these interviews were highly edited but the strong theme that came through when speaking to these women was the desire to prepare their children for friendships relationships and the bombardment of media messages not just respond when something goes wrong, and the strong desire to keep communication open. It was also a feature of these interviews that only women responded to my requests for an interview. My Spotify stats tell me that mainly women listen to this podcast. Here's looking at you dads. We know you care too. So if parents are worried about these things, what are they doing at school to address these concerns? Or is this parenting? Often schools talk about these things reactively, as in only when there's a problem. I'm going to ask Kate, a wellbeing leader in a Melbourne school, about what sort of issues come up in terms of sexual behaviour online. Okay, Kate, thank you so much for talking to me. So you work as a wellbeing uh, coordinator at a school? Yes. Um, What sort of issues does the school leadership or wellbeing team hear about in terms of negative online experiences? Like lots of different, varied negative online experiences because I think with our students, like if you're having a relationship with someone, you're having it online as well. So even friendships, but also um, relationships where, you know, 
feelings of attraction are involved. So there's lots of things that happen that play out that can be very much harmless, like two people in a relationship and they're sending nudes of each other and it's completely consensual and part of their relationship. But there's also the same instance where that stuff can go wrong. Um, so definitely sending nudes. With younger students, we get some cases of sending nudes where they don't really know what they're doing or why. We've had, unfortunately, had instances of students who have ended relationships and then there's stuff around revenge porn type of stuff. And then I think taking pictures or using images without consent is probably the other thing we see. What sort of age groups would you see that in? Unfortunately, probably right through. And it comes down to students forgetting what they know or, I mean, primary students probably not realising that that's not okay to do that. But then even, you know, students in year eight or nine are caught up in a moment of something happening and their phones are out and the phones are just part of their hand. So they've taken a picture or got a video and have sent it before they've thought and not realising the impact. So it's just constantly reminding people about the impact of what they're doing with images and other people's images. Do you think it's common for students to have seen pornography? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, Again, I think with anything with a big cohort of students, like there'll be some students that have never seen it and may never, never see it. Um, There'll be some students that might have seen it accidentally or happened across it. And there'll be some students that watch it because they want to, or there's some students that watch it because they found themselves in a situation with other people watching it. So very much a part of young people being online and seeing stuff online for sure yeah when we're teaching relationships and sexuality education in say a grade five six classroom there are students that have seen porn for sure and we factor that in to when we're teaching when we're working with say year 10s it's it's very much on the table as part of the discussion about what sex is and what sex isn't every every time from grade five or six upwards there's a question about porn for sure yeah and the, and the age appropriate questions too like by year 10 they are asking specific things yep um have you been involved in instances of image-based abuse yes unfortunately yes um with some students um yes Um, I was involved with one student who, when they were in year seven, sent semi-nudes of themselves around to friends and it was kind of like a a mucking around playing thing, like posing in front of a mirror. And then that image was then you, it was quite harmless, like a group of friends sending pictures to each other. But then that picture of her was then used to send to the whole cohort of her year level and it was sort of changed and adapted and modified and stuff drawn on it and was sent around and sent around and reposted and reposted, which became really awful. Have you ever been involved in a case where police have been involved? Yes, I have. Sometimes part of the process is to do that. You know, there are cases where the police can't really do much, but we see it that it's important as part of the learning for the young people involved that 
that is a factor, yes. It comes down to then whether the victims want to press charges and want to take it forward. And quite often families and young people prefer that the school handle it and repair harm that way. Um, and sometimes the technicalities of it mean that it's not a police matter, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I do. I think the, the laws around sharing sexual pictures and young people are really confusing Yeah, um, and hard to apply as well. Yes, yes. Mm. You mentioned a little bit just before we were recording about student perceptions of engaging with sexual content versus adult perceptions. Yes, yeah. Students have grown up in a way with a phone in their hand or a device in their hand. And that's just, it's not good or bad. It just is. Um, when it comes to having relationships in any relationship now for young people, they have an online relationship with each other. So for two young people in a consenting relationship, it's just the norm to send nudes. It's not even a thing. It's just, that's part of what you do. I think that's different sometimes for a lot of adults who see that as a completely different mindset or schema around it. Like it's a normal behavior within a relationship these days. And when I say normal, like not everybody does that, but a lot of people in consenting relationships do that. So whether it's sexting or sending pictures, it's just part of how they communicate in their relationship. And it doesn't always go wrong either. No, not at all. No, not not at all. And, you know, if, again, if there's consent and they're both happy and healthy and having fun, like that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the biggest thing that's really important is that we keep having the the conversation with young people and, and that idea that how do you want to be as a person face-to-face, -face, but how do you want to be as a person online? And then if something goes wrong, what are the things who are the people you can go to for help, how to recognise when something isn't right. Yeah, and the more we talk about it, the more we talk about it. Mm. And recognising things not going right, not just legally, but ethically. Yeah, ethically, yes, for sure. And that whole conversation about consent and that it's not pressure, it's not coercion, that goes online as well. Yeah. In a recent grade six class that I taught, students had lots of understanding of stranger danger online. They've been told to keep away from people that they don't know or be on, on the lookout for phishing or lies online. As an adult, I know that some of the potential harms that young people face come from within their own social circles. So what does the research tell us about where the danger lies for young people? Here's Greg from the Office of the eSafety Commissioner. Thanks, Greg, for speaking to me. My first question is, how do young people view their online experiences? I think most young people actually see it quite positive online. Uh, they like to be online connecting with their friends and communicating, and uh, they like the fact that their friends respond to comments pretty quickly. And uh, what we're finding from our research is that about Nine in 10 young people say that they are actually uh, involved in positive behaviour online. And they're actually quite interesting when you look at what some of the kids are doing online because they are searching for health information. They're searching for material about mental health, physical health and sexual health, which is 
good news. And we also found that about a third of children are actually looking for um, emotional support online for friends and especially for friends around mental health support services. So that was really good news. But uh, unfortunately, we found about 44% of teenagers have had at least one negative experience online. So uh, top three would be being contacted by a stranger or someone they didn't know, uh, receiving inappropriate or unwanted content, and being deliberately excluded from uh, events and social groups. But uh, even with that, there is some positives as well, because uh, we found that about 80% of teenagers took some form of positive action after they've had a negative experience. So uh, there is uh, things we learn from uh, our mistakes or our exploration into the digital space. Yeah, that's great to hear. So they, they knew what to do next. Yeah, I think they knew what to do as far as uh, thinking about making good decisions. Uh, they also uh, thought a lot more about privacy settings, putting in uh, security in place to protect themselves online, uh, making decisions about uh, who someone was. And I, I think, um, you know, that's probably similar for adults as well, but I think it's all part of that e-learning experience where the, the frontal cortex is very much about risky behaviour and uh, looking out and seeking interesting things. And I think once uh, you've had uh, something negative, you start to reflect a bit. So uh, in some ways it is a good learning experience. How much time do young people spend online? Well, I think every household is going to be completely different when we look at what's happening because the amount of uh, devices and content. Uh, the last time we did research in this year area was a couple of uh, years ago. And, uh, for teenagers, it's about 14.4 hours a week. But uh, since COVID, uh, you can imagine that's increased significantly. And that doesn't include school time, homework and all those things. So it's a large amount of time that they are. And uh, what are they doing? Well, nine out of 10 teens are... Uh, researching topics of interest, uh, watching videos, chatting with friends, listening to music, and uh, about eight in 10 are playing games. So they're, they're probably the things that we would probably imagine that kids are doing to communicate and be connected. They tend to have about four social media programs they use at the same time. And the most common ones would be uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Uh, YouTube's also in the top four, uh, just where they can get information and content. But we have seen TikTok being the fastest growth uh, as far as all the social media platforms. And uh, that really has taken off. So uh, entertainment, interest, but also the fact that uh, young kids are producing content on there. And I think, again, when we think about uh, the well-being of young people, we, uh, you may, need to make good decisions about what you watch, what you research online, and also what you put online yourself. Uh, when it comes to people making reports through eSafety, what sort of things come through to you? Yeah, well, we um, have a number of investigation teams that can help remove the really serious content uh, from the internet. And uh, certainly we're getting reports from young people and adults because our role is to help Australians uh, across all age groups. But uh, the image-based abuse, which is the non-consensual sharing of intimate images, with that, we're finding that uh, about 25% of the cases that come to our office are actually under 18 years of age. So we do know that this is something that happens with uh, young people. In fact, since we've started our investigations in October 2017, this is children and adults, we've had over 8,100 uh, reports for support from our investigation team. So the figures are quite high. And uh, we know that part of the landscape for young people is um, what are the socially acceptable norms nowadays when it comes to behaviours online? And I guess we're not really clear on that one, but we have seen a fair bit of sextortion happening as well. Now, sextortion is the fact where you may be blackmailed for uh, additional images or money because someone you've shared an image and then someone comes in and uh, puts some things in place. And 
what has been interesting in that area, uh, and this is again young people and adults, is that we've seen uh, almost as many males as females. Whereas traditionally, if we take sextortion out, the most common reports to our office uh, would be females. So unfortunately, uh, that whether it's flirtation or relationships or uh, being caught up in something, sharing those intimate images uh, can be quite a challenge. Um, the second one, which was where eSafety was founded, was working with the young people around the removal of serious cyberbullying. And uh, our team uh, continues to remove some of the more distressing content uh, from the internet that slipped through the cracks. Certainly, uh, the good news for us is we've now got new powers where we can help those who are 18 and above, and the new legislation came out recently. So that means all Australians can get uh, some of the more upsetting uh, cyber abuse type content down, but it does need to meet that threshold of being serious. And we've, uh, again, uh, had disproportionate representation of females here with, uh, since the scheme started, 63% of reports coming uh, from females. Uh, we are getting reports from uh, young people under the age of 14 as well. It's a smaller group, but we do know that happens to quite uh, young teenagers and even some of the primary kids. And um, over 3,650 cases uh, we've investigated since we started in that area. So another one that we uh, have uh, had reported to us is the uh, contact with strangers. And uh, this is more from our research where we found that 55% of young people uh, communicated with someone that they'd first met online. So it wasn't a friend that they'd taken to the online space that actually met them online. And probably a bit of a concern in there is that only 34% of parents realised that their child had communicated with a stranger online. Now, that doesn't mean that every stranger is bad and strangers can be young or old, but the fact is that parent awareness becomes a really important part in this uh, sector. And uh, that research also found that 12% of young people had actually met someone face-to-face -face after they first got to know them online. So it is important that we get those uh, solid foundations into our education around who you're talking to online and uh, what some of the issues are in there. Um, and so we are certainly worried about that. And of course, the other thing that uh, has been uh, asked many times by parents is around uh, pornography and uh, the exposure for young kids to what they see online. Since COVID, has the reporting of image-based abuse or cyberbullying increased, given we're spending more time online? Yeah, look, I, I think uh, the, the answer is yes, definitely yes. And uh, I think the thing we have to sometimes think about too is that the positives that have come out from technology through in COVID. And I know uh, being able to talk to uh, my family online and uh, they're quite a distance away to be able to connect, to get information through the uh, pandemic. And uh, again, a lot of young people uh, homeschooling uh, or working from home uh, with their education, uh, not being connected in their friends. So there was a lot of positives, but we also saw that the amount of time that people spent on the internet meant uh, both young people and adults uh, sometimes were seeing exposures or uh, were involved in uh, issues that really uh, challenged us in those areas. And I think what we've seen has been an increase in both uh, reports around cyberbullying. And we've seen an increase in image-based abuse, probably more in that area than cyberbullying. And uh, we've also seen an increase in some of the illegal and online harms. So it does really uh, point out to us that uh, firstly, we need to be aware of the risk factors online. Young people need to make good decisions. And I think we've got to educate them about the positives and the negatives, not just the negatives, so that they do make good decisions and they are aware, uh, because most young kids don't want something bad to happen to them. They want something, they want to have a positive experience. So we need to support them through those areas. And I think the other part is just making sure that young people know that there's somewhere like eSafety you can go to get content down uh, if it uh, for some reason ends up on the internet. Couldn't agree more. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Greg. My pleasure. 
So interesting that both Kate and Greg made sure that they talked about the positive aspects of engaging online and that it doesn't always go wrong, even if it's about engaging with sexual content. Credible information about the potential risks of online harms can come with the discussion of potential benefits. Next episode, I'm going to be finding out more on exactly what is in the curriculum on eSafety. Is there specific direction to talk to young people about sexual content online? And how do schools go with this? Thank you so much to all my interviewees, to Kate and Greg from eSafety, as well as uh, my excellent parent volunteers. For more information about Sexual Health Victoria, you can go to shvic.org.au. For research, information and resources on eSafety, as well as reporting options, go to eSafety.gov.au. You can also contact me directly at doingit at shvic.org.au. Follow Sexual Health Victoria on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Thanks so much for listening.